Welcome to Matter of Principles, a podcast from the Association of Washington School Principals. We've got some original podcasts in our feed. The podcast you're about to hear is the audio from an episode of AWSP TV, our talk show for principals. Make sure to tune in to our live episodes and catch all of our shows by subscribing to our YouTube channel. In the meantime, enjoy the audio from this episode of AWSP TV. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we're here with Susan Barrett, and uh, first, thanks for, for being here. So she's our special guest, uh, and we have been talking a lot uh, in our state about the new discipline laws, and coincidentally, um, uh, we're also talking about things like multi-tiered systems of support, uh, PBIS, and mental health. And so we have an expert here with us, and so we have some questions for Susan, and, uh, but before we do that, do you mind just giving our audience a sense of your background and kind of what brought you to this work today? Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, I work for the National Center on PBIS and have been doing that work for about 20 years. Um, I am now affiliated with um, a regional center at ODU, Old Dominion University in Virginia. Um, we have formed a Center for Social Behavior Supports, and we're really trying to scale up this PBIS approach and expand it into other arenas. I have a background in, as a special educator, as a school counselor, and as an administrator. And so I've carried on many different roles in the education arena and uh, geek out about systems change and geek out about really um, harnessing the multi-tier system of support and into a single way of work. Yeah, great. So for folks that haven't heard about MTSS or multi-tiered systems of support, can you give us a little background on what it means and specifically its connection to PBIS or positive behavior intervention supports? Sure, so when we think of PBIS as a multi-tiered system of support or MTSS or PBIS where you throw a lot of acronyms out and around, it's really anchored on the public health model and that we need um, a different type of response um, to the needs for kids. We need a whole school response. So rather than thinking about um, implementing an intervention with a specific student, we think about what we can do at the host environment level to engage the majority of the students to meet the benchmarks of success, whether that's academic or behavior or social emotionally. And so we, the unit of analysis is really on the host environment or the school level. And then we increase levels of support. So the multi-tiered are about multi-tiers of supports that we provide students so that we make sure that we can um, kind of monitor and, and increase supports as needed for the kids that we're working with in our schools. Um, it's a framework, so it's unique in that it uh, is customizable to fit any unique population that we happen to be working with. But we adhere to really clear core features within the model of that framework. Um, one of the reasons I fell in love with PBIS and MTSS is because it's flexibility and it's customization um, to really kind of fulfill what it is that we need for our community, our group of kids, and our staff. Because um, a lot of the change that we ask is is change in adult behaviors. And so we really are building a system that supports adults and encouraging adults to use best practices so then we can get outcomes for kids. So the multi-tiered system is that public health model. You know, we think about prevention models and we think about um, 
what we've done to prevent flu and other illnesses in our country, we use that public health model. We use that hand-washing approach. And so we're kind of using that same mindset and drawing that in to, to say, how do we ensure that most of our kids are successful in our environments? And again, how do we do that academically and social, emotionally, and behaviorally all in the same kind of using the same framework? So when I hear you say that, I, I think about the work that principals are doing and assistant principals and how busy they are and how um, I've been involved in things like um, curriculum adoptions. Mm -hmm. And so how, how is this different? How is a framework different? Um, and I'll also mention that earlier we were talking to a group of principals and one of the things that you shared was um, implementation overload or initiation, um, initiative overload and talking about um, the difference between that and the framework. Can you kind of share a little bit more about that? Yeah, so our hearts are really big and we've got some significant issues and concerns in our schools. And when we think about this urgent need to, to kind of fix the problems that we're facing inside schools, we have this tendency to add more practices and more interventions and more shiny new initiatives without really taking the time out to say, and uncover kind of what our specific needs are for our community and our kids and our staff, and take the time to really have um, deliberate and intentional approaches for selecting what our kids need. So we end up just adding more and more without considering that we're overwhelming the system and that we're overwhelming our staff. Um, but it's really hard to push the pause button because we're dealing with so many different aspects of this work and so many crises that our kids are coming to us with. It's hard to push pause at the same time to think about or consider changing the system to rearrange the conditions so that we can help support more kids. So it's a really hard thing to be able to do, which is why we lean in um, to the district leadership to really transform those systems and really consider um, how we can change professional, the way we train and support our teachers and the, the professional development aspect of work. You know, the implications of policy, the implications of funding. These larger systemic issues have huge dramatic impacts on our day in and day out work. And so it's really gotta be an all hands on deck approach. And we started the district community leadership team to really kind of shape and, and ask questions about their current way of work and ask them to invest in a more effective and efficient way of work. And this framework really gives a step-by-step -step process in, in delivering how, how, we, how we do that, how we take on that, that work. Well, it makes me think of what you were sharing about the interconnectedness of this work. And in fact, your, um, part of your work recently has been on uh, the development of interconnected an interconnected systems framework right. so people aren't talking about PBIS as one thing over here and mental health supports or social emotional learning um, so can you talk a little bit about sure, about sure. that part as well yeah so a lot of the schools in, in the state of Washington are actually implementing with high fidelity PBIS and there's they're seeing outcomes as a result of that and we really want to harness the, the work that's been established through PBIS but expand that to the mental health arena we have a mental health crisis in our country and in the state and certainly in our communities and I think um, certainly as principals, as leaders, we're feeling that day in and day out with all the different ramifications of that. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is we're saying, you know what, this works. This is a, um, a systems change that's actually having an impact on kid outcomes. Could we bring our mental health partners that are working in the community 
in a parallel fashion? Could we bring them in to work with us? And could we create a more efficient and effective way of doing that inside our schools? Mm. You know, we can't do this alone. Schools can't do this alone. The, the, the magnitude of the problem it requires everybody in the community to, to participate. And so how do we harness the student voice, the family voice, the community voice, and bring everybody into a common way of work? And many of our schools that have started with PBIS find it much easier to approach this work if they've, if they've done um, pretty, pretty significant work already with, mm -hmm. with the behavior system. So thank you for sharing that. It helps make it kind of, I'm, I'm making the connections now myself. And so moving from the systems level to like ground level with two, uh, teacher and student interactions. And part of what you talked about earlier was the profound importance of teacher-student relationships and how that in and of itself um, has um, a really large impact mm -hmm. on academic achievement. Mm -hmm. You also talked about um, the link between social emotional well-being and academic achievement. Mm -hmm. So I see those things as similar, the teacher-student relationship and social emotional well-being, but they are distinct. And can, so can you talk a little bit more about the link between um, SEL and, and academic achievement? Sure, so we know that um, our brains are, are hardwired as to be social beings, right? There's this part in our brain that um, needs to develop care and foster and, and have relationships, right? That's part of who we are. It's kind of why we survived as a species. So knowing that and thinking about the whole child, if we just focus on academic without understanding that the stress that could be caused by a traumatic event is impacting our ability to learn. And so if we're not paying attention to the social emotional dynamics that play out in, in our brains and in, our, in who we are, we're always gonna hit a glass ceiling with academic. Right? So one of the things we know that um, you know, we feel successful when we feel like we're connecting socially, when we feel like we are deliberately engaged in the community um, and that we've got a place in the community and, and our view point is welcomed. Yet um, a lot of times when we're, we're so, so laser focused on academic success that it's taken away our ability to have time, space, and support to really develop relationships with our kids. So I think it's really important that our leaders in our buildings give time, space, and support and, and allow our staff to not to grow the skills themselves to be able to connect with students, but also allow time in the day and throughout the day to continuously loop kids in, into how to do this, into making sure that our students have the success to be able to know their feelings, identify their feelings, and then communicate them to others. And, and that takes a whole array of skills and competencies. And I don't think we're putting enough focus on that. And I think, and, and the research really bears out, when we bring social emotional competencies into the academic arena, we actually see increased academic achievement as a result. So, and that's, so that's reminding me of um, some parts of our school leadership paradigm. So on the, on the left side, I guess, we talk about personal intelligence, social intelligence, as a way for school leaders or anybody that's engaging in leadership to have a better impact and really knowing themselves, knowing the who that leads. And so we've, 
you know, as you're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about personal intelligence, like wellness, um, being self-aware, being reflective, uh, balanced, adaptive, um, and social uh, intelligence, things like being relational. Um, and so when you were talking with the principals earlier, you said something about putting the oxygen mask on ourselves first and that this is a form of self-care. Um, so there's these connections between the adults and the students. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about how that happens um, for adults when we're going through this work? Yeah, so we, in our um, professional learning academies, one of the things that we really do is bring teams together. And we don't necessarily train folks, we really facilitate an action planning process that allows us to recognize when um, we might be emotionally drained and how to kind of put love and kindness and positive interactions and influence the behavior of the adults first and foremost. You know, we can't take care of our kids unless we feel like we're engaged in the community, unless we feel empowered and part of participating in kind of this change process. So we allow time for um, a core leadership team that represents the larger um, community to come into trainings and really set in motion what is it that our school needs, what is it that our staff need by way of self-care, by way of um, the skills to teach social emotional competencies, and asking our leaders, again, to, to kind of rearrange how we spend our time and to focus more on staff and focus more on preparing our staff and coaching and supporting our staff and embedding this into the academic arena rather than having them think this is one more thing to do. Um, I, I appreciate that, um, that you're also focused on wellness for our administrators. I really worry about our, our key leaders in our schools. You know, I don't know how well we're taking care of them, how well we train and support our leaders. And it can be a very uh, isolated kind of work when, when you're the, the leader and you don't know who to go to for support yourself. Um, you know, we're in this accountability system that has us wanting really perfection in an unperfect system. And so to what extent are we nurturing and caring for one another and how do we invest in more of a professional learning community with our administrators where we, we provide spaces for them to be honest about what's going on, to be transparent and to figure out a, a self-care plan that includes the necessary skills they need to be successful in this work. Yeah, we do preach self-care a lot in uh, the professional learning that we offer. We also say networking or just being at professional development is, form, is a form of self-care. Um, and in, when we're doing those trainings, we're also talking about the need for a shift. Um, now we're talking about, I'm kind of leading into student behavior now. The lead, or excuse me, the shift between or from punishment as a form of trying to correct maladaptive behavior into discipline or teaching. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about how to help that shift take place, whether it's in mind shift or behavior mm -hmm. shift? Yeah, yeah. So in our PBIS work and now in our interconnected system framework work, um, we're not asking for people to change their minds about behavior and discipline. What we're asking them to do is invest in small things that make a huge impact in kid outcomes. 
And so we can do really simple things like greeting kids at the door that has a significant impact on our ability to start instruction on time. To have that first positive contact in the day plays, again, another significant role in developing care for the kids in our communities and to set a positive tone for the day. And that's a really small thing that we can do that would have a dramatic impact. So we have a lot of stigma when it comes to discipline. You know, When it comes to teaching any other aspect of the work, we're really patient with that process. It's always an instructional approach. We need to use that same logic when we're thinking about behavior, because behavior is just a way for us to communicate with one another when we don't have the words to do it or when we feel stuck. And so to be able to identify the behavior errors that are occurring in a school and then identify the replacement skills that we, that we want kids to say and do differently, we need to teach that process similar to what we do, academic content. So it's really about that instructional focus and logic and employing those same practices that we do for academics um, in the mental health and the behavior arena as well. Yeah, one of the things that you said um, about just a practical advice around greeting kids at the door. Mm -hmm. um, we're also in Washington State trying to reduce the use of suspension or expulsion. Mm -hmm. We know it doesn't work. I think most people would agree that it doesn't change behavior. Right, right. And so as we're moving towards uh, a more limited or restricted, restricted use of suspension and expulsion, people are wondering, okay, so what do we do then? Mm -hmm. And maybe using this PBIS frame and, and any other nuggets that you might have, like greeting kids at the door, um, what, what might you recommend? We know that when you do PBIS with Fidelity, you are 32% less likely to receive an office referral. And that's simply because we're paying attention to the proactive and preventative strategies and we're actually cultivating relationships with the voice and ownership of everybody around the table, right? Um, in large part, we suspend kids when we don't know what to do. And so if we can go, we, you know, we get what we pay attention to. So if we can rearrange the system where we're actually having adults be in a system where they um, are shaped, their behavior is shaped to pay more attention to when kids do it right than when kids are making behavioral errors. Right? So think about this. We, you know, we use this clip system a lot in our, in our classrooms simply because it's a strategy yeah. that, that, you know, in rigorous kind of um, research conditions actually shows benefit. You know, we, there, is, there is a benefit to it. But we're actually shaming kids into behaving. We're, not get, we're, we're using discipline not to teach, but rather to, to punish. And in doing so, we're actually making the behaviors worse. But so many of our systems shape the adults to pay attention to those behavior errors rather than paying attention to when kids actually are, are doing it right. Yeah. And so the strategy is really about making sure our feedback ratios, our um, specific brace statements are in line with what the research tells us. So we're using strategies like positive behavior game or good behavior game um, or simply teaching what we want kids to say and do and then reinforcing specifically when they do that as a way to change the behavior because we get what we pay attention to and we focus on problem behaviors, we're gonna get more problem behaviors, right? There are absolutely times where we have to suspend kids, right? When they're not being safe. 
but we also have to have a re-engagement protocol and we have to increase the level of supports we provide in addition to suspending. We can't just suspend our way out of the problem, mm -hmm. right? So there's striking that balance with, yes, under certain conditions, there are times when we have to, right? But then how do we quickly identify the necessary supports we can give and how do we rearrange the conditions within the environment and with the staff to increase the likelihood that they will be successful in the future. Okay, that's very helpful, uh, these practical strategies. The, um, you also shared, during your um, presentation earlier, you shared a, um, I think it was a, a matrix that's designed to help people teach social emotional yeah. competencies. Yeah. Um, PBIS has folks develop and there's examples on uh, all over, easy to find examples of matrix for teaching desired specific behaviors. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between teaching a desired specific behavior and competencies around emotional and social or social emotional competencies? Yeah, so we can use that teaching matrix that you just described mm -hmm. where we're really explicit about what kids say and do in different areas around the building. Right. For instance, we have different expectations and rules and routines in the hallway when we're having a transition time than we do in, in the classroom. We have different expectations in the library than we do in a computer lab. So we're really explicit about what kids and staff say and do, and we use the, teachi uh, the teaching matrix to really raise um, the level of awareness about how we continuously teach those, those procedures and practices. When it comes to social-emotional competencies, we can use that same logic. When we identify that kids may need more coping skills, we can actually put some emotional regulation strategies right there on the teaching matrix that remind and prompt us that we need to use these strategies across the entire day. Too often, when we teach social-emotional competencies, we're teaching it maybe during a class period, but that doesn't seep into the fabric of our community unless we put it on a teaching matrix that's really that common script, that common language that we're all using collectively, right? It's when we start to see it and we start to encourage others to use those strategies and it, and it really permeates the entire day in every aspect of what we do, that we start to see those tr truly using those new skills. Okay, I've got two more questions. Okay. okay. The first one, um, well, recently I heard some data, and I, I can't remember what the study, or who did the study, talking about the return on investment for PBIS in dollar figures. Yeah, yeah. And it was something like, for every $1 spent on implementation of PBIS, there's a savings of $140 um, in terms of time, effort, and resources spent on things like suspensions and all that. Um, so I think that's a great argument for people to make. It, in terms of justifying the resources or talking to legislators. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also clear data showing that implementation of PBIS with fidelity, and I think this came from your list earlier, uh, results in a reduction of problem behavior, increased academic performance, increased attendance, improved perceptions of safety, reduction in bullying behaviors, improved organizational efficiency. I mean, the list goes on. Um, and in, including an increased perception of teacher efficacy. So with all these things pointing to the why, mm -hmm. what's your advice on what's one thing uh, a school leader could do to influence 
PBIS um, uh, being initiated in their setting, not just in their building, but district-wide, because we also know that the impact when it's um, initiated at district level is far better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so that you're talking about the levels of different, the cascade of implementation is kind of what we call it. And we work really closely with district community leadership teams to, to, to create a more efficient and effective way for them to kind of lean into MTSS. And we work really hard on uncovering some of the systemic issues that foster this, this, this discipline and, and, and things that, and the crisis kind of that, it, that is emerging inside of our schools. And so we work really hard with our district leaders. Having said that though, it's really important that the voice and ownership comes from the students, comes from the families, and comes from the staff. We are not doing anything to them. They are leading this work. And so that initial investment and uncovering the needs and identifying valued outcomes is such an important part of laying the foundation for change, right? We don't do anything to people. They're helping craft the design of the effort. And so getting them to buy in and buy in without sabotage and asking them just to do a couple things, just tweak a couple different things, but then we've got a responsibility to count those things and say, when you do this, it has an impact, a direct impact on student outcomes. There's a direct benefit. Um, you know, we talk about the fiscal implications. I, I, I think we start with instructional minutes, right? When I greet students at the door, I increase instructional time. When I decrease the number of kids that I send out to the office because I have a different skill set and I can, I now have confidence and I have the skills to have a positive classroom um, system, then I actually decrease the exclusionary practice of removing kids from the instructional environment. If I can recover that, then I can increase academic achievement. Um, And then there's the the fiscal implications as well. Um, There's there's an amazing amount of dollars that we save when we decrease suspensions, because we know suspension is that path towards dropout. And so if we can decrease suspension and keep kids in school and, and, and have them have a successful experience in school, imagine the impact that has across their lifespan and the economic benefits of that. Um, so we start small, we start with insecure buy-in, and we, lead, we let the community lead this work. I think that's really important. Makes me think of raising and elevating student voice. Our, uh, we have an association of Washington student leaders in Washington State um, that's part of our organization, AWSP. And so I know that folks involved in that, this is just resonating with them and how they can provide supports with student leadership um, towards PBIS implementation. So then my last question um, is, you know, with including the work that you're doing now and other resources that you know that are out there, what are two or three things that we can point principals or assistant principals to, maybe it's web-based or some literature that you think would really help them get started um, with PBIS? You know, there's a ton of, of uh, resources that are available, not only on the OSPI website, but also on our National PBIS Center website. Uh, www.pbis.org is a great um, place to get resources to get started. We have an implementation blueprint, and we can make sure that your folks are are directly connected with that so they don't have to go searching for it. But that really um, 
it, it, it has the terminology in there that, and, and because we, we throw out all these acronyms, we throw out all these terms, and we have to make sure that we're all speaking the same language and we all have a common vocabulary. And so what I love about the implementation blueprint is it gives the foundation the foundational principles of this work. And um, it also will script the moves for our district and our school leadership to go through a very clear process of implementation. You know, we're talking systems change, so we're really talking about a two, two to four year turnaround time frame, and yet our kids can't wait. So there's, there's this sense of urgency at the same time. Um, there's some things that we can be doing systemically that will have long-term effect. Because you know, whenever we deliver a training, we want to make sure that whatever we train on gets implemented, whatever we implement gets implemented with fidelity. And when it starts to make an impact with our kids, we want it to stick over the next decade. So it's got to be up to us to rearrange those conditions to make sure that those practices stick and, and resist the temptation to go to the next shiny new initiative. Right, to stay the course, to make sure we're doing due diligence with what we know that is most effective with our kids. And so the blueprint is, is one item. There's also um, a lot of expertise right here in the state. And so we can connect folks with a whole group of people who can, who can uh, um, link you into training events that are going on to an MTSS fest that is taking place right now. But the idea is that that conference and those trainings are going to continue over the next couple of years as the system really invests in, in this multi-tiered system of support, which is simply a new way of work um, in approaching the, the crisis that we find ourselves in with not only discipline issues, but also mental health issues. Well, thank you so much for all of your really powerful work and all the help and um, advice that you gave to principals and assistant principals today. We really appreciate the work and thanks for coming on. Sure, it's an yeah. honor to be with you yeah. today. Thank thanks, you. Susan. Yeah. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>